0: so good to be able to welcome you to worship this morning Uh, week by week we're seeing more and more folks coming back and we thank you that you could share in this really intimate times especially as we welcome our new members and have the privilege of baptizing two families into the into the body of Christ. Most of you know that our daughter Rachel is an EPC pastor who is serving as the Dean of Spiritual Formation at Montreat College a Christian school in North Carolina. Uh, Among many things, Dana, uh, whatever my daughter's name is. (laughs) I was hanging out with my sister yesterday, so I was thinking of Dana. Uh, Rachel is, among many things, the pastor of this community of faith. Um, Two weeks ago, a man walked into the college chapel where Rachel serves. And um, the, the chapel where Billy Graham and Ruth were married and took his life with a shotgun. The president of the college had just boarded a plane for Texas. The door had just closed, and they pulled away when the text came that this horrible thing had happened, and they still weren't sure exactly what it involved, which meant, of course, and and he wasn't even able to get back until the next day. And so this meant that Rachel and a a few others were uh, responsible for leading the college through these horrifyingly uncharted waters. I heard about this, of course, and I spoke to her finally that first night. And she recounted to me all the the challenges that they were facing and that she was facing trying to pastor this community going through this awful, awful tragedy. And she described all of the things that she had done so far and what they were doing together so far. And then she just broke down and began to sob. And she said, Daddy, what do I do? And if I could have crawled through that phone and out the other side, I would have done it. Your little girls never stop being their little, your little girls, do they, dads? No matter how old they are, no matter how competent they become. Uh, my wife's solution to this was, while I was talking on the phone, she was getting airline tickets. That's what mommies do. <laughs> so she's there with Rachel right now turns out that Rachel and her team did know what to do. They, uh, they did a great job of caring through their, for their community. They're leading them through this horrible tragedy. But when the, the burden of leadership rests upon your shoulders, when, when the, the weightiness of caring for a community of people rests fully upon you, it's sometimes helpful to be able to reach out to a, a kind of a seasoned leader and ask, what do I do? What do I do? This morning, Peter answers that question. The question spoken by leaders of churches that spread around what is modern day Turkey during a time of terrible persecution under the Roman Empire. These are godly principles of leadership, and they apply just as surely today as they did 2,000 years ago, just as surely to the elders of our church as they did to the elders of that first century church. But I don't want you to shut your ears just because you say, well, I'm not an elder, so I don't need to listen to this. For one thing, you don't know whether someday God might call you to be an elder. And secondly, and more importantly, each one of us has leadership opportunities right where we are, in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities, in our friendships. And so these principles that Peter wants to share with us, these leadership principles, that he wants to share with elders, they actually apply to every single believer in Jesus who wants to be used by God to have an influence in a very unbelieving world. So that's what we are in for this morning. I want you to listen to these godly leadership principles and ask yourself how they apply to you, to you, as well as understanding a little bit more about the call to eldership. Our text comes from 1 Peter chapter 5. We are now in the last chapter of 1 Peter. We are almost done. Next week we will conclude. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning verses 1 through 4. Listen to the word of the Lord. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Presbyterian. It may be the most unuser friendly church name in all of Christendom. Presbyterian. It is decidedly uncool. There is nothing cool about Presbyterian. Although we do have the coolest anagram of all, if you mix up the letters of Presbyterian, do you know what it spells? Brittany Spears. Now, that's pretty cool, but Presbyterian, not so much. Intrepid Church, or Heart Church, or Elevate Church, or Intersect Church. Now, those are the cool church names. Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church, eh, not so much. We mostly go by Chapel Hill because that's how our community knows us, but our official name is Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church. We could have changed it. When we moved into a new denomination 10 years ago this year, in fact, we're going to have a big soiree, a big celebration June 5th. You won't want to miss it. We could have changed it when we rebranded, but we did not. Most Presbyterians can't even spell Presbyterian. But non-Presbyterians couldn't care less. And in fact, for some, it might even be a turn-off. But we have chosen to retain that name, not because it is hip or user-friendly or tweetable, but because what it means is so important to who we are and how we do our work together. So, you're going to have a little lesson on Presbyterianism this morning. I hope, though, that it applies in a personal way to your life. Let's start right here. What does Presbyterian mean, anyhow? What does the word Presbyterian mean? Anyone? It's a thousand points for you. A reduction of your tithe to 8%. for some of you, that would be a bump. <laughs> Presbyterian is the Greek word for elder. Presbyterian, presbyteros means elder. The, the elder son, the older son in the prodigal son story, he was the presbyteros, the elder son. Uh, Farsightedness that is caused by aging eyes is called presbyopia, right, presbyopia. So when we call ourselves Presbyterians, it means we are a church that is governed by elders. We have two types of elders in our church. One are teaching elders. So Ellis and Julie and Gunner and Rachel and myself, we are teaching elders. You call us pastors. We are those who have been ordained to a life of vocational ministry. So, teaching elders. Here's the second kind. Ruling elders. Now, ruling elders are the lay people who are part of the church, that are church leaders chosen by this congregation to sit on the board of elders that we call the session. Another weird word. The session means literally the seating. As in, the seating of the elders. So, That's what this is about, teaching elders, ruling elders. Here's a really unique thing about being Presbyterian, though. Ruling elders are also ordained. Ordinarily, ordination is saved for pastors, but in our world, ruling elders are also ordained. In a few weeks, a new class of elders, some of whom you will see perhaps later today, they're going to take their ordination vows, and and they are exactly the same vows that we pastors took. We so highly esteem our elders, our non-pastoral leaders, that we share an ordination with them. A little more information. Once you're an elder, you're always an elder. Whether you're on the session or not, you're an elder for life. And our ruling elders rotate off of session every three years, sometimes every six years. If they do it six years in a row, then they got to take one year off So that we can kind of mix it up a little bit before they can come back on session. A little bit more. Now, I know this is stimulating for you. The the relationship between ruling elders and teaching elders, especially the senior pastor, is kind of like a dance. So I am the moderator, another Presbyterian word. I am the moderator of our session. That means I lead, I guide the session meetings. But session is my boss. I am subject to their authority. They are responsible. The session is responsible for setting the goals of the church and providing oversight and preserving and protecting our ministry and our reputation. And most importantly of all, elders, the ruling elders and the teaching elders together, we are called to discern together the mind of Christ. Some people think that you elect an elder so that you'll have a representative in Congress and they'll do what you tell them to do. It doesn't work that way. You, you lose control over the minute you elect them. It is their call not to do what the, the church bids, but to discern the mind of Christ together and be obedient to Jesus. Now, honestly, this whole system that I've just described to you can be a little cumbersome. It's it's far more efficient if you have a pastor or a bishop or a whatever who is just calling the shots. But we Presbyterians don't think that is safe or wise. We have systems of checks and balances so that no one person, not even a senior pastor, can make unilateral decisions about the future of our church. It can be sometimes messy. It can be a little inefficient at times, but we value this relationship of mutual accountability. And to this, Peter speaks in the first verse of our text this morning. He writes, I exhort the elders among you. Let's just pause right there. So that's presbyteroi, that's plural, elders among you. Did you see the plural? Did you know that every time, nearly every time the New Testament speaks about elders, it does so in the plural not in singular. It is a group of elders almost every time. The biblical model of church leadership is rarely singular, not lone wolf. It is almost always a group of leaders who have been called to be accountable to one another and to the Lord. And what's amazing about this verse is that Peter holds himself to this standard. Let me read a little bit farther in the text. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Let's just pause there for a moment. You remember who's writing here? This is Saint Peter. This is the rock named by Jesus, the one to whom were given the keys of heaven. This was the leader of the twelve disciples. This was the founder of the Jerusalem church. Peter, the vicar of Christ, the pope, the first pope. And how does he describe himself? A fellow elder. A fellow elder. He says, I am no different than any of you. He says, we all have the same call that has been laid upon us to serve the same Christ together as we serve his church. That's an amazing statement of humility, something we will talk about next week further. Accountability in in our world is so important. This humble deference to a larger body of believers. The the willingness to submit one to another, to fellow elders. Accountability is a sacred, sacred principle in Presbyterian governance. It is one of our highest values as a church. It is a part of our DNA. We do not trust the resolve of lone wolf leaders to remain untouched by the corrosive effects of unrestrained power. Let me say that one more time. We do not trust the resolve of lone wolf leaders to remain untouched by the corrosive effects of unrestrained power. Some of you will have heard of Lord Acton. If you don't remember the name, you will have heard of his adage because he famously said, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Remember that? Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, he went on to say, this is stark, great men are almost always bad men. Whew. We are a church that is governed by a group of leaders who live in mutual accountability to one another. And to the Lord. And frankly, this last decade illustrates why this matters. We have witnessed one high-profile Christian after another fall to scandal. And in most cases, those persons had no accountability to anyone. No body of leaders who had the courage to say to that person, you must not do that. You cannot say that. You may not spend ministry money that way. You may not treat your congregation in that fashion. I love being Presbyterian because I know that power corrupts. And having a godly group of men and women who provide oversight is the greatest protection against corruption and the greatest assurance that our ministry will retain its integrity and its effectiveness. And judging from the growth of our congregation... Many of you feel the same way. Despite this pandemic, we have actually welcomed many, many new people into our church family. And one of the common themes that we are hearing from them is this. We appreciate that Chapel Hill has a system of accountability. One of our new elders said, years ago, I came from a broken church that had no systems of checks and balances. She said, I love what it means to be Presbyterian and we do too. Now, you may have never even thought about that. Whether you have or not, you still benefit because you don't have a single leader who is calling the shots. We are accountable to one another. In fact, last week an elder called me out on something I had done that she found concerning. It was a hard but really helpful conversation. I feel like I have a lot of those with my elders. And And it reminded me of why I love being Presbyterian. I want you to think about your own sphere of influence. Are you accountable to anyone? Do you have anyone speaking into your life? Are you living in a humble mutuality before a group of others with whom you are brutally honest? And who will be brutally honest back to you who have permission to do so? It's one of the great values of our life groups. You cannot be accountable to a body this size, but you can be accountable to 12 people who know you and love you and are walking together in life. It is this humble admission that you dare not walk alone. The earliest time that God said it is not good was when he realized that man was alone. The Lord has never changed his opinion on that. It is still not good that man, that women should walk alone. I want to say one more thing about this. Elders are called, obviously, to a mutual accountability, but more importantly, they are called to be accountable to God. I want you to listen as Peter continues in this verse. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Whose flock is it? Is it the the elders' flock? Is it the senior pastor's flock? Whose flock is it? The flock of God. It is God's flock the moment a group of elders or a senior pastor forget that this is God's flock is the moment that we have waded into deep kimchi you will never hear me call Chapel Hill my church you'll never hear me call Chapel Hill my church except when I call you my sweetheart church (laughs) that's different you are my sweethearts but you are not my church I'm your shepherd, I've been called to lead you, but I do not possess you, you don't belong to me. You are God's flock, and it is my job and the job of your elders to care for and guide you as best we are able. Now, Peter moves on to... Look at three examples of what godly, accountable leadership looks like. We're going to look at two of them this morning, and then we're going to save the third for our concluding sermon next week because I think it's so important. It deserves a focus all of its own. So here's the first thing that Peter teaches us about what it means to lead these godly, accountable lives. First, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. We do not want or need leaders who feel like they're doing us or God a favor by serving in this role. We do not want or need someone who has to have their arm twisted in order to compel them to serve. What we want and what God wants are those who when the call comes to serve his flock respond willingly, enthusiastically. You bet. I'd be honored to. In a few weeks, as I said, we are going to ordain our new batch of elders. And I'll tell you, every one of them is excited and, about the opportunity and the privilege of serving. And they feel so humbled to have been asked. They are willing. They are enthusiastic. They are ready. How about you? In your own sphere of influence, are you eager to be of service to the Lord? When Pastor Julie stands up here and says, you know, we need some help with the Sunday school class. We need some help in the youth department. We need help with this mission outreach with one of our partners. Are you the one that says, gosh, I hope someone's listening to this? Or are you the one who says, that might be me. Maybe the Lord is calling me to serve in this way. I'd be honored to do so. You know that one of my passions in this post-pandemic or at least posting pandemic season is to get every sheep of this flock back here, if you are physically able, to get you back home. And last week, we had a surge of 100 returning sheep, which is awesome. Apparently, they heard the call. And as we keep saying, and as you know too well, it is not the same when you're worshiping in your living room. It just is not the same. But here's another reason to come back. You cannot answer God's call upon your life. To be of service to your flock. To his church. If you aren't in our midst. I can't compel you to return. I can't force you to return. But I entreat you. And I am praying. That if you are physically able. You will come back and join us. That we might labor with the Lord. Together in his kingdom. So. Peter says, elders are to serve willingly and not under compulsion. Here's the second thing he says, second principle, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain. Peter was probably referring the fact that elders often had to deal with money, the special offerings that were taken to help with the poor at the time. Similar to what we took in our special offering for the people of Ukraine and he made, this, he made this plea with good reason. How many times have we heard stories about shepherds who have fleeced their flock to line their own pockets for their own gain? You have every right to assume that your ruling and teaching elders will not take advantage of their positions to enrich themselves. Our session, Remembers, are required to sign a conflict of interest disclosure that reveals any way at all in which they might be perceived as self-serving in that role. And you also have every right to assume that your hard-earned contributions to the Lord's work here are stewarded faithfully, every right to assume that. I remember a man who called for an appointment. He wanted to discuss the many business trips that I took on behalf of the church because he was curious how much they cost. I said, set it up. So he came in and he sat down and I handed him a pile of papers. And he said, what is this? I said, this is a printout of every expense submitted by every pastor for every church-related trip over the last year. Feel free to review it. Do so right now. I'll wait. And so he did, and he asked, well, what is this column? And I said, those are our meal expenses. He said, well, this must be a mistake. I see one here for $12. I said, it's no mistake. We often eat at Taco Bell and Arby's, two of our favorite places. And he left my office a champion for our frugality and our transparency. When I use the church credit card, I'm always asking myself, what would the members of the church know think if they saw what I was spending this money on right now. You have the right to expect that. The misuse of money has been the downfall of so many ministries and so many church leaders. It is why we have a rigorous accounting and review protocols. It's why we have a a CFO in Don Davis who does such a spectacular job. It's why pastors never have access to money or donations. It's why we require elder review of large non-budgetary expenditures to protect and to steward the money you so generously entrust to us, and more to the point, to protect and preserve God's reputation, our reputation in this community. Peter says, don't do this for shameful gain, but instead he says, do it eagerly. I'll admit to you, I don't get how eagerly and shameful gain are opposites. But the more I thought about it, maybe it's this. In your call to ministry, don't be so focused on what you can get out of your ministry, but rather on what you can give to your church and its ministry. Be eager not to profit or to benefit from the church, but rather to give yourself to your church in service. I can tell you, every one of your elders is generous in the giving of their treasure and their time and their talents. When we eliminated five and a half million dollars of debt for beyond these walls so that we could give more and more away every year, a great portion of that fell on the backs of your elders and they were happy to do it generously. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Again, I would just ask you, how about you? Are you more concerned when you think about your life in the church, about what you're going to get out of church, what you're going to get out of worship, or about what you can give to and through your church. When Christians become consumers of spiritual goods and services, when they become spectators and not participants, not playing in the game, they are also at risk of using their church for shameful gain. Peter has one more leadership principle, but as I said, it's so important. We're going to save it for next week. I think it's the most important leadership principle maybe the most important principle in life so I hope you'll come back for that in the meantime we got plenty to digest we are a church that's led by elders under shepherds who are accountable as Peter says it to the Lord Jesus who is the great shepherd of his flock and the privilege and the burden of leadership that they carry is great frankly especially in a season such as we have just been coming through the responsibility to lovingly shepherd a flock every single member of this flock every single one and to provide wise and godly and courageous leadership in difficult seasons that is weighty and it is eternally significant and so i want to close in a in a special way now i want to ask if you would join together in praying for your elders. In fact, I'm going to ask one of our deacons, another ordained office that we have, to come forward. Please come on up, Marvin. Marvin Claire is actually an ordained pastor in another tradition, but he's one of our great deacons, and I asked him to come up here and pray for your elders. I know that you want to be a part of that, so what I would like to do as, as Marvin comes up is ask right now, if you have ever served, not just presently, but if you have ever served as an elder at Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church. Would you uh, stand up right now, please? Okay, got one up there. All right, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you are near one, one of these folks, would you reach out a hand to them? Touch them, actually, if you can lay hands on them. You can move, it's okay, we won't whisper if you move around the church a little bit. Just reach out and lay hands on them and I'm going to ask Marvin to offer prayer for these brothers and sisters who have served in this way.
1: Lord, we do just thank you for this day and for your presence, your promises and for all that you've done for us in the past. You're so faithful and we thank you for your word that is true that never fails and contains eternal truth and we thank you also for your church around the world, for the hope given by uh, the church to multitudes of people down through the centuries. We thank you for what you've already done in this place and what you're continuing to do. We thank you, Lord, for many faithful elders that have served you in ways that have helped so many people find and live out a faithful relationship with you, through the many decades of ministry here at Chapel Hill. And we thank you uh, not only for the sacrifice of elders themselves, but also for their families that at times have had to sacrifice as well. And we thank you for their gifts of time, service, and commitment to you, Lord, and to this church. And may each of them continue to know the faith, love, and assurance that only you can give. Amen.
0: Amen. Now, if I could ask you to please be seated, unless you are presently serving on our session. So if you are a member of our session, and I can't see, is that one of our elders? No, 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 okay. So I see Elder Tom Lurch. Who is that up there? Who's up in the distance? Hi, Kristen, thank you. And Steve, by the way, I might want you to begin to make your way down as soon as we pray, Kristen, because I got something else in store for you. So uh, Elder Kristen Tate, Elder Steve Maxwell, Elder Scott Griffin where ah elder serena blair you know her anyone else over here all right again and and since they are presently serving i really want you to surround them so if you're nearby get up and go over and lay hands on these people and pray for them for this season in which they are trying to lead us once more okay. marvin of wood
1: lord we find ourselves in uh, challenging times and of course all aspects of our lives are affected our families our work lives our church lives and many other areas. And Lord, I again lift up to you each of these presently serving and newly elected elders and pray that you, Holy Spirit, will give to each of them wisdom, foresight, determination, and the kind of love that only you can give so they can do their very best to fulfill the responsibilities to you and this congregation. And Lord, I pray that all the rest of us do our part by faithfully praying for them Uh, as well as praying for the pastors, support staff, and so many others who keep the wheels turning, so to speak, and who bring glory to you, Lord, through this church. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you. Would you say thank you to our elders who are serving us right now? Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Skansie Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10:30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at ChapelHillPC.org was